James, I've been talking for a while about how we're transitioning from a physical, real world into a digital, surreal or synthetic world. Um, it's one of the reasons why we came out here is to be amongst the real world. We're getting outside of uh, all the large metropolitan areas um, where there's not a lot out here. It's kind of hard to deny. Yeah. You know, these mountains are pretty real. It's been pretty spectacular. But when you see that from your, from your perspective and from what you're studying, what you're seeing, what is it that you see with us transitioning kind of out of like, not just real physical things, but real, you know, human relationships and so forth? Yeah. I mean, we're in a weird time. Um, we live in a weird, weird time where a lot of our social interaction is digital. Yeah. That's a huge change. Um, people my age, my early 40s, grew up where, you know, till 15, 16, 17 years old, we lived entirely in the analog world. There were, yeah. We had phones, we had video games, you know, I'm playing video games or whatever, but we didn't have social hmm. interaction via, you know, the internet or whatever. That was late in my teen years that they came in. Immediately, we all got addicted to it, as you would imagine, <laughs> like everybody mm -hmm. else. Um, so we kind of have a foot in both of these two worlds. So it's interesting for people like me to look at this, you know, and then it becomes more interesting because, you know, we talk a lot about neo-Marxism or critical theory as being basically the same thing. We talk a lot about that, but we don't actually talk about postmodernism nearly as much. Mm. And when we do, we talk about Foucault, we talk about Derrida, mm. you know, Foucault's all worried about power and how mm. power and knowledge interact and how knowledge creates or is power and... Uh, how discourses in society that are culturally contingent, how we think and talk about things, shapes our perceptions of reality to the point where, you know, each culture's set of knowledge is, is based in their contingent circumstance and there's a power structure based on what people believe to be knowledge. And mm. Derrida is all worried about meaning and the way that language can or cannot convey meaning. His whole mm. thing is, you know, the linguistic relationship between the so-called signifier and the signified. The word is the signifier. I can say, you know, chair and I am, that's a signifier of this object that is mm. the signified. And one of Derrida's famous challenges was, if anybody can bring me to a student's, if anybody can bring me a signified, then, you know, you get an A in the class or whatever his, his deal was. He said that essentially all you had was signifiers pointing to other signifiers and other signifiers and other signifiers, and you never get down to the signified at all. It's mm. one word leads to other words, leads to other words. If I say chair and I bring you this, all he'd say is, well, that's one example of a chair, and you have a much broader conception mm -hmm. of what that word chair signifies. So you're still just bringing up a signifier of a class of things. And so you never get to the signified. So meaning gets completely hollowed out. Language becomes impossible to convey meaning. We talk about Foucault. We talk about Derrida. Mm. We talk about postmodernism a little bit. We spend so much time talking about, about neo-Marxism, though, that we don't dive into any of these other less known... Um, postmodern philosophers and in particular we don't talk a lot about John Baudrillard which yep. you know it's like dang it another French guy right but once again University of Paris right this guy's actually pretty yes of course mm -hmm. this guy's actually pretty easy to understand for people because whether they were right or wrong about it his philosophy was attempted to be represented in film form in the film series The Matrix mm -hmm. and so he has this idea of hyper reality mm -hmm. right is this idea of hyper reality that 
we're not even acting in the real anymore, especially I think we talk about this digital universe and social media, um, but we live in this thing that's more real than real, mm -hmm. hyper reality. So he had in mind things like advertisements where you have, you know, the model who's being taken, a picture taken of her or him in a perfect shot with the camera just so and they're twisting the ISO and getting the light and it's just the person comes out more real and then they airbrush it and you know they're spritzing them with oil or water so they shine a little bit you know and it's more real than real and they, they change the shape of their face and they change their shape and now we have Photoshop and everybody knows about you know the thing is you got plastic surgery then you got Photoshop you got all these layers of fake you got fake spray tan you got all these layers of fake added in so that the model male or female looks more masculine than male or looks more feminine than female mm. and so this is hyper real representation so he's looking at advertisements you know in the 1970s and 80s and saying this well look at the internet now I just mentioned Photoshop mm. how that takes it to a new level and so we have this separation from the real, and we live in this world where there's more real than real. Mm. Um, and this has kind of a synthetic quality to it. And we live in this weird time because we live in a digital mm. era. Mm -hmm. And like here, we've been having problems with the Wi-Fi on and off, which is, right. you know, it's like we're out in the mountains, you know, we're in this, of course, gorgeous place, but then it's like at the same time, so there's that juxtaposition and then we're just like, the Wi-Fi is slow. You know, so it's like we have this modern problem because we live in our lives today with one foot in the hyper real and one foot in the real. Mm -hmm. And if you don't figure out how to deal with that, it's like we're not right. going back. We're not getting rid of social media. We're not getting rid of the Internet. We're not getting rid of con like digital networking. It's not going away. We've got to figure out how to live with a foot in each world and to, to kind of plant our feet there so that we can make use of the digital while not losing the analog all around us. And I think that that's a challenge that we don't talk enough about because a lot of people, you know, a lot of progressives, of course, just want to lean into this and live in total hyper reality. They're like, oh, I can just change my identity, change my gender, change my race. Now people are trying to do this. Apparently they're going to get in trouble for that, but you know, whatever, mm -hmm. everything's up for grabs. Whereas a lot of conservatives are like, let's go back. Right. Let's go. We can't go back. Mm -hmm. We have to find a way to find um, ethics, values, norms that allow us not to lose touch with reality while we have access to hyper-reality that we can actually interface with. We have, to lose, we have to go into a place where we can have our children interface with the internet and grow up on social media without developing identity issues. Right, where everybody's just basically an avatar. Right, right, exactly. And we have to start looking for ways to, to figure out how to understand that there's this real life mm -hmm. that's all around us right here. And we got bugs all over us. Right. It's very real life. Right. <laughs> yeah. No skin so soft. No, I just did it. But, but at this, you know, it's very, you know, you got to live in real life mm -hmm. while making use of mm the hyper real because it's part of how we live our lives now. And this becomes right. a challenge for us to remember that there's real life versus synthetic life. Right. And what I observe, to be honest with you, is that when you get into, you spend too much time in social media, you spend too much time in hyper reality, it's dissatisfying, it's depressing. And I think if you read Baudrillard, who's kind of pessimistic about all of this, or if you read any of these kinds of critiques, like Herbert Marcuse, I don't mean to dive into a critical theorist here, but mm -hmm. he was very worried about this, the advertising, the propaganda, it's conditioning people's minds to uphold the consumerist 
system, the capitalist mm -hmm. system. You know, he had the same kind of lines of thought. These guys knew that this is alienating, that the synthetic world is alienating. Mm. And I see it in young people, especially, they get a little bit depressed or a little socially anxious. Yeah. They get online and they have a great social life, but it's fake and it can't actually meet their needs. And they have these spirals into more depression, more anxiety, more social anxiety, scared to go to a grocery store and use anything but the self-checkout because right. if they, because they, they might have to talk to a person. Right. And what if they do more than just, you know, ring your stuff up and don't say anything? You know, it's very awkward. Ah, you know, and it's, we have to start figuring out how to get past that. And remember that real life happens when you get offline. Right. But we have to live with online. Well, and the thing that happens too, as you think about it, is that with, with young men and women, is that because of the fact that they are living in the hyper-reality, is that then when they're in the reality, they can't deal with the fact that, well, this is real and this is who I am. And this, this is the, you know, whether it be the, the race, the gender, the, the physical makeup of my body, whatever it may be, is, is so unlike what my online persona is or how I want others to perceive me that now I must change this or I'm just not going to be happy. No, that's right. And it's especially bad for vulnerable teenagers, mm -hmm. maybe especially ones that are socially awkward, but especially because their bodies are doing weird stuff. Right. Like puberty's weird stuff, right? And so all of a sudden they're on this, they've got, they're building up this kind of avatar, hyper real identity, and then they go on a rocket ride. Right. They go on a rocket ride of hormones. Between 10 and, and 15, yeah, 16. And or even 18. Everything's changing. Yeah, and right. they don't, it's very difficult. Your, their identities typically very often become unstable. They're looking for themselves. And you have this now ability to create 10 different online personas that are completely different with right. an image. And, you know, if it's like an animal, it can be an animal. If it's a cartoonized, the cartoon thing, it can be cartoon. If it's a Japanese anime thing, it can be that. And like, you can create all kinds of crazy stuff. You can start to identify with that and then you can actually feel more comfortable there and then step out of mm -hmm. the struggle of dealing with your own changing reality right and that's a very important thing and to call this synthetic is extremely important those are synthetic identities now you and i have a mutual friend that goes by a code name and i know it's a little silly to say that in a video but his code mm -hmm. name is vocal distance people yes. are on twitter know who he is mm -hmm. he's anonymous so we'll just refer to him as vocal or vocal distance he had a great analogy for why synthetic is the right way to explain Baudrillard's idea of simulation and simulacra mm -hmm. leading into the hyper-real. And what he said is imagine, and it's a strawberry analogy, vocal strawberries, we could call this. Sure. He said, you know, you can imagine a long time ago before anything, you know, got too technological. People are 200 years ago, they're picking wild strawberries and they're eating them. And they're like, wow, these are great. Mm. Wouldn't it be great if we grew these in our garden? And so mm. then they figure out how to cultivate them. And over a few generations, now they're growing these great, big, juicy berries, bright red, the whole thing, you know, they're perfectly shaped. The kind of stuff that we'd see in the grocery store rather than these little scraggly, weird looking, I don't know if you've ever found wild strawberries and they're real wild, but they're really kind of small and irregular and all of this. So now you have these big, perfect, juicy berries. And that's already a simulacrum of the real berry, mm -hmm. the, the wild berry. And then they figure out how to take that and mash it up mm -hmm. and make a candy out of the mashed up berry. Mm -hmm. And then the candy, he explains, well, that's a, that's a, a simulation or simulacrum, I should say, of the, the, the cultivated berry. Mm -hmm. And then they go a step further and they say, well, it's this particular set of chemicals 
and let's that, do a strawberry yeah. extract. Right. And we'll make a candy out of the strawberry extract. Mm -hmm. And so now it's a it's a chemical extract and it still tastes in the strawberry realm. And now we're another layer of simulacra as Baudrillard would have it, away from the wild strawberry in, in nature. Right. And then he says, well then somebody figures out, well let's take this candy and make a soda out of the candy. Right. Or another layer and let's make a Slurpee out of, he went to the Slurpee, let's make a Slurpee out of the soda that's made out of the candy, that's made out of an extract that's drawn from a mashed up berry that's a cultivated berry and we're all the way down from that wild berry. And then he says, imagine, you know, his kid, is, he's talking about his son, he's drinking this Slurpee, you know, every couple of days, they go and get a Slurpee, they're having a good time, father and son. And one day they're out at the park or whatever and they come across a patch of wild right. strawberries. Right. He picks a wild strawberry and he's like, this looks like the picture, the drawing, the cartoon on my Slurpee. And he eats it and he's like, this strawberry's weird. It's not a right. very good strawberry because he lives in this hyper Correct. real. The, yes. the Slurpee is more real than real. And if mm -hmm. that's all he's ever experienced, the real is intimidating to that's him. That's right. And so Baudrillard's got, this is a beautiful analogy that mm -hmm. he came up with. And so this is the world we live in though, right? Mm -hmm. We just saw, for example, that a trans woman won Miss USA, uh, or Miss, Not Miss Nevada USA Nevada, pageant, yes. right. right? And so, you know, great, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, that's its own issue. But we have now a simulation mm -hmm. of a woman mm -hmm. that's a trans woman that was made to look this way by hormones and by surgery, Not was not born that way. And if nature, and I'm not saying, I'm not making any value judgment here, but if had nature taken its course, it would not, would not appear that way, no matter how that person grew their hair, no matter how they lived their lives, short of these other modifications, these synthetic modifications. So the synthetic strawberry, the synthetic beauty queen, the, mm -hmm. we live in this very, and then it's a next level when you op upload entirely and go into the matrix of, of mm -hmm. social media. And that's why the matrix is such a, a brilliant example. And Baudrillard had another example he gives in simulation or simulacra and simulation, where he talks about a perfect map that matches every detail. Imagine this whole terrain, mm. every single pebble, every single mountain, every single leaf on these plants behind us is on the map. Every single detail matches reality perfectly. And he says what happens is eventually the cartographers who are building this map, and that's us, choose to live in the map rather than the than, than in the terrain of reality. And, and the that's map is how, not the reality. And the map is not the reality. And you get to the point right. where you start making a mistake that you're gonna change what's on the map and thinking that changes the underlying reality. Right. And that's the problem that we run into when we occupy hyper-reality too much. Mm. No, it's one of the problems. And you know, we need to get a lot deeper into the synthetic thing um, to understand the danger of the moment. But I think it's good to just pause and reflect on how technology has enabled us to enter into a phase where we're having to deal with both synthetic and real at the same time. And what we have is a massive inability to distinguish between those in way too many people. And so they think that they can change the, they think they can change the map and that the underlying reality will, will, will change. For example, with trans, if you wanna be trans, more power to you, mm -hmm. but you will never finish transition. Mm -hmm. That's in the map. Mm -hmm. In the map, trans women are women. In the real terrain, Trans women are always transitioning. Going with they this. never yeah. get there. Yep. It's an ongoing process that's never complete because that underlying real architecture, whether it's at chromosomes, whether it's at hormones, whether it's at whatever else, is never going to be fully changed. And part of that is is the uh, the real transition into transhumanism in many ways. Oh, of course, that's right. Right. I mean, 
this is, you know, there's the track all along from both the critical theorists and the postmodernists that track into transhumanism. You know, Donna Haraway was the big feminist researcher. The the she's all about the cyborg. Right. The, in the 1980s and 1990s, and I'm not exactly a gigantic Donna Haraway scholar yet. Mm -hmm. I've read her. Um, we used her in some of our fake papers. Um, but there is this idea of getting beyond the like living in the map so much that you can get beyond or in the matrix so much that you can get beyond human and start creating a, either the cyborg or the uploaded consciousness. And then we can all live this kind of utopian existence in mm -hmm. a completely digital or computerized or anyway, non-real, non-analog, synthetic right. world. Right. And that's its own reason to have to stop and pause and look at the moment that we're in and start making some real decisions about how we want to proceed with this. Mm-hmm. But there's more. There's more because we've talked about synthetic should remind you of another thing we talk about all the time, which is Hegel. Right. So now all of a sudden we're talking about high tech uploading our consciousness into the, you know, right. into the holodeck or whatever, the matrix right. or something. And now, bam, we're back to 1807 with a phenomenology of spirit. We're looking all the way back here. And Hegel's looking back to Kant before him. And they're looking at Hegel's taken with the dialectic. Right. And the phenomenology of spirit, which he called a system of science, uh, is supposed to be all about, it has a lot to do with this dialectical process. So Kant phrases it as thesis, thesis. and the thesis meets its antithesis, its opposite. Mm -hmm. And those two things must show, so, like yin-yang, must show mm -hmm. some greater underlying or overarching whole that has to be understood, and that's the synthesis. Mm. And this is very important for people to understand as to why the world seems crazy. It's not just that we live in this internet hyper Baudrillardian matrix hyper reality. It's not just that we live there. That's what's kind of helped enable this to come to where it is. It's that we have a movement, whether that's in postmodernism or it's in neo-Marxism or whether it's in Marxism before neo-Marxism mm -hmm. and postmodernism, or whether it's in um, the so-called critical social justice or woke ideology that's been born out of those things where that dialectical process and critical race theory and introduction, you have Richard Delgado and Gene Stefanczyk write blah, blah, blah about how, you know, we deal with the big issues and then the issues get more granular and they get more granular and we work out the smaller issues and smaller issues. And he's talking about like the intersectional approach where we have to go big identity to intersect identity to triple intersect identity. And then he finally says, and so the dialectic okay. progresses. And that's the Hegelian belief is that the dialectic is progressing. We talked about that before at the beach instead of in the mountains, that there's a spiral through mm -hmm. history that the dialectic is progressing through. And that's the arc of, of history. And so what this Hegelian line of thought does is, is it produces a synthetic description of reality. Mm -hmm. We've said he's an alchemist, blah, blah, blah. What it is, is he's creating, if it's, if the goal is to create synthesis mm -hmm. of all of the contradictions, accelerate the contradictions, comrade, Vladimir Lenin, mm -hmm. accelerate the contradictions. If it's to make a synthesis out of the contradictions, then we are creating an increasingly synthetic philosophy. Mm. These philosophies, whether they're Marxism, young Hegelianism before that, which preceded it, Neo-Marxism or cultural Marxism, cultural Marxism came first and neo-Marxism revolves, postmodernist despair become post-Marxist and post-Hegelian, uh, you know, they're all sad in Paris, 
because you know, Paris is so sad and they, they're despairing because their their beloved Marxism right. didn't work. Khrushchev had come out and said, yeah, Stalin was horrible, you know, mm -hmm. and they couldn't deny it anymore. And they had their hope in Mao and it was starting to look bad and they just went into this total despair. And But the, they, they still have this idea, like deconstruction. We talked about Derrida a moment ago. Deconstruction is a synthetic process, except that he's abandoned the synthesis. He's right. like, yeah, let's just take the the thesis and the antithesis and bang them into each other and just let everything fall apart. Mm -hmm. They don't want to make a synthesis. And then the neo-Marxists, though, were like, no, because Marcuse, uh, Herbert Marcuse was extremely Hegelian. Mm -hmm. Hegel, Hegel, Hegel. <laughs> Abstract, negative, concrete. Negative thinking becomes positive over and over and over again. Very Hegelian. Quoting Hegel. Paulo Freire and critical pedagogy. Very Hegelian. Quotes Hegel quotes all of these other people that are Hegelian, talks about the dialectic. And this in dialectic, the modern day, in, in Zizek as well as is, is. Zizek, yeah, he is yeah, a, Zizek, yeah, he is a Hegelian openly. Right. So the idea here though, is to create a synthetic reality. Now I've written in the past, as you know, about pseudo realities, which is Joseph Piper, he's a Catholic philosopher from the seventies. Right. Right. He wrote about, he had an essay, it's brilliant. Everybody should, everybody today that wants to understand what we're dealing with should read at least the first part of it. The second part is pretty Catholic. And I can understand why you maybe don't want to read that. The first part, however, is the essay is called Abusive Language, Abuse of Power. So mm -hmm. what you have is them creating synthetic discourses mm -hmm. to, in the name of what Antonio Gramsci wanted to do with what got later named the Long March to the Institutions, mm -hmm. to create counter hegemonies, or rather a synthetic hegemony, right. a fake consensus right. that everybody is going to be enforced to hold up. If you don't believe what we believe, you're a racist. So you have no option but to, 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 to agree or be considered a horrible person or a stupid fool or whatever. They always try to make you feel dumb and uneducated and behind the times, or they try to make you feel morally inferior or morally regressive or conservative. And if you don't do one of those two things, then you, you know, you're terrible, you can't be listened to, you have to be excluded, you're a domestic terrorist, whatever it is. So they're creating a synthetic consensus mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that is on the right side of history mm -hmm. to progress the dialectic. This is all very cohesive when you start to see all the pieces come together. Mm -hmm. And then that grafts onto this synthetic digital world mm -hmm. that Baudrillard was complaining about and warning about. Lyotard, another postmodernist we don't talk a lot about, was complaining and warning about this too. He said, well, this consensus is dangerous. He says, this is legitimation through consensus is legitimation by parology a right. paralogical system that is beside actual logic. But that's exactly what Joseph Piper, Lyotard wrote that in 1979, Piper wrote in 1971. Mm. So this is before. Piper is like people who create pseudo-real linguistic constructions, a synthetic use of language. Diversity doesn't mean diversity. It means commissars. Inclusion doesn't mean inclusion. Inclusion mm. means purges and censorship. Mm. Equity doesn't mean equality. Equity means communism. Mm -hmm. Or something close to it. Not exactly, but close enough for, you know, we don't have to split all the hairs here, right? Like the things that racism doesn't mean racism. Race doesn't mean race. They all, there's a very synthetic language. And this abusive language or the synthesizing of language mm. creates a synthetic hegemony yes. that is the parology that right. Piper's warning about in 71. Right. He says that's how pseudo-realities are created, through parology. Right. And here you have parology being warned about in, in 1979 by Lyotard. If you read the postmodernists as people saying, here's some really weird stuff that's going on going into the 60s and the 70s and into the 80s. Baudrillard mostly wrote in the 80s. He even wrote about the Gulf War. So he was still writing you know, much later, right? right? 
And so if you look at those guys as warning people, as a, rather than giving instructions, they're very pessimistic, they think the world's, you know, what it is, and if they have some bad prescriptions, but if you look at them as writing a descriptive warning of the kinds of things that could be going on with technology and the way things are changing, the way culture's moving, they're pretty spot on about some stuff. Mm -hmm. And what I see is that the woke saw all this stuff like, oh, legitimation by pyrology. Leotard's mm -hmm. like, don't do that. That's what's happening. It's bad. And they're, the woke took this up and they said, or the neo-Marxists really saw that. And they're like, everybody already does that because power dynamics are blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So we're going to do it on purpose. We're going mm -hmm. to impose that. And that's what you see with, you know, you look at what the Democratic Party's doing in the United States right now. They're trying to enforce with this mm -hmm. whole domestic terrorism, if you disagree with them or something. Mm -hmm. They're trying to enforce a consensus. Mm -hmm. They're creating a synthetic hegemony, a synthetic sense of agreement about what the correct opinions are, what the incorrect opinions are, and they're going to enforce that so that everybody has to go along. You don't go along with it, well, then accountability, which has now got two meanings, is going to pop up into the into the fray. You're going to be held accountable, meaning somebody's going to complain to your boss until you lose your job, which right. is not how freedom of expression works, usually over something completely ordinary or banal that you might have said, like, for example, that, well, Miss Nevada, USA, that's a synthetic experience or whatever of a woman. Right. I'm not adding a value judgment or not to it at all. It's a synthetic woman. So, but for you to say that then, that is looked at as being hate at this point. That's right, because that's how they enforce, Correct. that's how they enforce the synthetic hegemony. In other words, that's right. how they make the fake consensus. And, and for me, of course, as a Christian, I would come, from, come at it from a very different perspective. But as well, I would say, correct, that's absolutely right. This is someone who is synthetic, uh, where it's, it's almost the norm in, in, in many different societies across the world right now to ensure that you are always bettering yourself, whether it be through plastic surgery or some other kind of manipulation to the body and so forth. And of course, the, the whole thing that we've done now uh, within the United States is We've normalized, of course, we're kind of transitioning from a, a heteronormative society into a homonormative society, but then even as well, the new thing of trans, which is, has split the homosexual community, you know, in Western civilization as well. Douglas Murray talks about this in The Madness of Crowds, Yeah. Uh, where again, it's, it's that, why can't we just get back to the real and getting to know someone and, and somehow being focused on things that are real and real relationships and and, and not being at war with ourselves in many ways. Well, you know the answer to that. It's not that hard. Because the real doesn't always conform to the stupid theory. Yeah. That's as simple as you can put it. Right, they have a right. theory. The theory is about how history progresses. It progresses by getting to one synthetic answer after another. Mm -hmm. Synthesis. Synthesis again. Synthesis again. We've talked about the spiral, the Hegelian spiral before. Mm -hmm. More synthetic, more synthetic, more synthetic, more synthetic. And the real shoots an arrow straight through that mm -hmm. every time, mm -hmm. every single time. So you have to get further and further and further away from the real. So anything that brings you back to the real, anything that takes you back out of that disrupts the theory. Right. You start to see, you know, it, it's all, we've, we've talked about the iron law of woke projection several times now. The, the iron law of woke projection applies. They, they say that they're trying to, you know, take us in a, they say that the, like the power of society is taking us in a particular way, but in reality, they're trying to push society in a particular way. And that direction itself is synthetic. Mm -hmm. They have the goal in mind before they start. When you investigate reality, you're just trying to learn. You don't have mm -hmm. the goal in mind necessarily. Mm -hmm. 
Usually not. I mean, with engineering, you would have the goal in mind, but you still right. have to accord right. to reality. You, the bridge must, you know, span the ravine and stand. Right. But you, and you have the vision and the goal in mind, but you also have to attend to, well, if, you know, we put it on this loose sand or we put, we build the bridge on sandstone, it's going in the hole. Right. You know, it, you have to still attend to reality. It's not all pretend. It's not all digital. Mm-hmm. It's not all up for grabs and there are certain limits to what you can change and the more people interact in reality the more people touch reality the less the theory makes sense their contradictions are exposed they mm-hmm. that's another iron law woke projection there they say they are exposing the contradictions but what they're doing by projecting they're like oh here's a contradiction we live in a rich society but there are poor people that's always going to happen hierarchy mm-hmm. always happens mm-hmm. Their whole thing is out of touch with reality. The contradictions are everywhere, but if they're call, they're the only ones who can call out the contradictions, well then, nobody can see their contradictions. And then if people do call out their contradictions and they can say, well, we're accelerating the contradictions. That, and in the queer theory, we're speaking of trans, they say that the contradictions themselves are productive. They are in, inherently queer. Mm. When you have to hold two contradictory ideas in your mind at once, that's inherently queer and it's productive mm. of our kind of activism. Now, let's just think about this from uh, bring it down to a couple of, of real specifics in, in regards to how people can look at this within their own lives. And we, as well, will put along with this video some links to Baudrillard and a lot of the different ideas and concepts that he brings in post-structuralism uh, and so forth. And, and so you can really dive into those things. Yeah, you should go watch The Matrix, too. <laughs> just, just watch The Matrix, right? I mean, if you see in The Matrix, at the beginning... You know, Neo's like a little hacker dude, right? And he's right. still in the Matrix. And he's got his little contraband drawer, and he hides his contraband in a book. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you think it's like interesting contraband, like drugs or something. But no, it's not interesting contraband. It's like floppy disks yes, or something right. like dorky, right? <laughs> but you open up, he opens up the book, and he puts his stuff in there, and he closes the book, and he looks at it before he puts it in the drawer. If you remember the scene mm-hmm. near the beginning of the film, do you remember what the book is? It was the Simulacra oh, and Simulation right. by John Baudrillard. Right. Then he closes the book. Yep. Closes the drawer. And so they should just watch The Matrix. Baudrillard said, no, that's not my philosophy, but yeah, there is no spoon, John. And then, then let's think about the directors, producers of that film. Right. And they both went trans. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Because so, hyper-reality. Exactly. The and, Matrix is more real than real. But in, even at least in The Matrix, they admit, right? right? They say, well, we tried to give you utopia and you all died. Yeah. <laughs> Your brains couldn't handle it. Hyper-reality, again. So, and, and people aren't catching on to that. They don't understand the, the undergirding philosophy behind that. And then, but how does that affect our society as a whole? Means that we are in a world still of, of physicalness, of I have these rights. Yeah. This is my property. Um, this is my family. This yeah. is who I am. You know, going back to Martin Luther, Martin Luther King, you know, I am a man. Yeah. Well, I mean, know? even more simple than that. You know, if you happen, the health risks associated with something like obesity are overwhelming. Mm. You know, this is, again, no value judgment is implied here. But if you look at fat studies, they're like healthy at every size. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, let's just deny that. Let's live in hyper reality. But their flag is, I think, literally Neapolitan ice cream with a heart on it. I'm not kidding. The Really? It's like a sexual, like fat fetish flag. I'm not kidding. They all have flags. They want flags. Why? Folkish thought. Right. By the way, why do they all have flags for everything? Because they see themselves as little countries, right. identity-based countries. And where does that come from? Folkism. Micro-collectivism. And Folkish. so you divide them by race, you divide them by gender, you divide them by every, every single uh, immutable or non-immutable 
characteristic and you go right down to the to having a completely fracturized society that's right which is living in a hyper reality not in a reality where they can look around them and say well who's my friend who's with me right exactly right? and the thing is reality is going to catch up with you reality is going to catch up with you you cannot I guess if we were truly, you know, uploaded into the to a matrix, maybe we can, you know, really bend some spoons. Right. We're not. Or if that's unloaded into us, uploaded into us. Either way, we yes. still live in like if if I pick up a rock here and drop it on my foot, like last night we knocked over a table, almost hit our foot. That's mm -hmm. the you're going to the hospital. You're right. in a cast. You don't get to dodge reality. If you go on hormone treatment and you end up having say your uterus uh, abscess or something like that because mm -hmm. it turns out testosterone wasn't great for your body mm -hmm. well that happened you mm -hmm. can't unhave that happen it doesn't unhappen you know you're 14 years old and double mastectomy they're not growing back right you can make we live in physical reality you can make very bad choices we also live in social reality that has its own laws and rules that are much more complicated sociology is I don't know what even to say about it. You know, it's a split field. I think that rigorous sociology is extraordinarily useful. And then theoretical sociology needs to be thrown in the ravine uh, as quickly as we can throw it in the ravine mm. uh, for the most part. But that said, there are rules to social reality. Human beings, human nature didn't go away. Human mm. nature isn't, you can't, even with the cyborg, you can't just change human nature very easily. This is the mistake they always make. Marcuse is looking to make the liberated man at the change at the level of biology by interjecting a new morality to he mm -hmm. changes at his very needs. That's the essay on liberation from 1969. The Soviets were famous for the new Soviet man that would biologically, you know, accord with communism and it would work when everybody's a genetically engineered new Soviet man. And like, this is... When you're, you're off in that, you're insane. And what you're tacitly admitting is that reality is going to catch up with you mm -hmm. eventually. And reality in those cases were millions starving. Mm -hmm. You know, wars and the liberation fronts breaking out, extraordinarily violent wars, toppling governments, taking countries that were thriving like Argentina and turning them into the third largest economy in the world at the time and turning them into, you know increasingly backwater places, not to put yeah. Argentina down, but it wasn't really great for things. Education mm -hmm. systems slowly starting to come back after the depression in Brazil and Paulo Freire comes and starts teaching them, teaching them pedagogy of the oppressed. And the next thing you know, um, their education system tanks. Everybody in Brazil that I've talked to that works in education that has the, the nerve to say anything in this, you know, legitimation by pyrology world where you're not allowed to tell the truth, tells me Freire ruined Brazilian education. Mm. You know, reality is going to catch up with you. Social reality. So when you talk about something like critical race theory, it's divisive. If you make people think about race all the time, if you impose racial identity onto everybody, and then you start making people think about how that's relevant to every experience they have, division over one of the least important and most ugly things you can possibly imagine, and it's a Southern use of ugly, mm -hmm. uh, for those who don't know it, bless my heart. Um, <laughs> Southern use of ugly. Uh, you're going to have that division over the one of the worst things, one of the least relevant, least important tribal markers ever, mm. and that's all to hide the fact that it's not even race. It's that's that right. It's all. It's all this failed attempt to what they used to call multiculturalism yep. to force that upon everybody, which is again another synthetic reality. It's not how humans interact. Right. 
Human nature didn't go away. The realities of human nature, we don't have new Soviet man or liberated man. We never are. You just end up with millions dead in the attempt to make that happen mm -hmm. and fail. And that's why synthetic reality is a very scary thing. We mm -hmm. don't live in synthetic reality. We have to deal with it because we have that interface. I have an interface in my pocket to synthetic reality. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I go on Twitter and I definitely play in synthetic reality. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a performance. It's a bit of a game. But, I mean, that's gender performativity, right? Synthetic mm -hmm. gender. You turn on the other side, though. You go to the far right guys, these so-called neo-reaction people. Not to drag up a whole other subject, but they even say that they, they LARP, live-action role-play, mm -hmm. their trad values. Their traditional mm -hmm. values are fake. They're mm -hmm. synthetic. It's more of the synthetic reality. It's more Baudrillardian nonsense where Baudrillard was saying, well, this is the world we live in and I don't really have any good solutions. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying we better find some good solutions or else we're facing a really dangerous circumstance mm -hmm. where the consequences are, again, we're not going to change human nature and it's going to catch up to us. We have rampantly anxious, depressed identity issue teenagers because the reality of what it means to be a human developing through adolescence didn't change just because we've got a generation and a half or two with devices in their pocket. Right. And so we, you would say then that for people that are really start, they're listening to this and going, hold on, somehow everything's starting to, to make sense right now about what's really happening around me. You know, why... Um, the school system is trying to do this to my children, whether they're in kindergarten and having to, to, to sit through drag queen story hour or whether they are, you know, kids that are adolescent age, you know, from junior high to high. And they're being told that they are going to need to start mixing with each other in their restrooms or that they're being encouraged to follow a different path in terms of a non-reality, if you will, you know, hyper reality. Um, and then as well, you know, as you start to look at society around you, um, where it's being completely fractured and, and things are being encouraged within our entire society that break apart the foundations that it's not just a question of Judeo-Christian. I mean, it's in every society everything, that everything. we knew to be true uh, to the very basic things and from a Christian to Romans 1 perspective. But that's all being an even, even within, it's, it's made the news right now, right now we're in the last few days of June. Uh, within the Southern Baptist Convention, where the the sermons that are being preached by those that have the last two, <laughs> the last two presidents of the Southern Baptist Convention, go into hyper reality. How again. synthetic! Yes, Yet again, it's synthetic. It's like when you see those newscasters, but it's preachers now, and where they say the they're all saying the exact same newscast word for word, and you're like, what's going on here? And they're preaching the exact and they're same preaching it synthetic. Sermon. It's all synthetic. That's right. And so people do, they're starting to wake up to and grasp the why. That's what you said. Yep. They're, they're starting to see the why. And the why is very simple. If you operate in an abusive pseudo reality and you're trying to foist an abusive pseudo reality onto humanity or onto mm -hmm. society, then you need people to operate in a synthetic situation. Mm -hmm. And they're also starting to wake up to how. And that synthetic language, people are realizing that the language has been twisted against them, that has been manipulated. Joseph Piper was trying to tell us back in 1971, if you see somebody abusing language, 
they're probably abusing, doing it to abuse power. Right. And so the how is that they've, our, our other mutual friend, uh, Mike Nana, mm -hmm. named this discourse engineering. Mm. We've talked about, you, or we, we, we all know about social engineering. Well, they're achieving social engineering by engineering the discourses. Why do you think I named the company New Discourses? Right. Because we have synthetic discourses right. that are creating a synthetic hegemony, a synthetic cultural norm that's right. not real, that nobody outside of a very narrow group of people that is certainly less than 20% of the population that wants to see this happen, nobody else believes it. Mm -hmm. Everybody else feels like they've lost their footing. Everybody else feels crazy, and this is why. They're being forced to live in a synthetic reality. It's not even the thing that, like Marcuse was complaining about with consumerism and the advertisements, and he's like, oh, it's all synthetic. No, this is a engineered misuse of language and engineered misuse of representation and engineered misuse of values and norms an inversion of our values and virtues it's a massive gaslight massively gaslight that's why everybody feels gaslit because right. we're being forced to live in a synthetic pseudo reality right. false reality that's mostly linguistically constructed by people who are using that to abuse language and abuse power right and they have a goal in mind but that is yet not shared in general knowledge uh, they're trying to transition things within our societies, um, and it's not just here in the United States, but everywhere, uh, to something that people just don't see coming. And the more that they start to say, well, everything that's being told to me is fake. We, we seem to, to live in, in a constant mountain of lies everywhere that we go. And how am I going to be able to judge that? And do I just need to suspend everything and just say, okay, whatever you tell me to do, I'll just do it because I want to make sure that I continue on with my life. But there's only so long that you can continue to do that. Because if you continue to live in lies, yeah. live not by lies, yeah, as Solzhenitsyn exactly. would say, that it's going to lead the entire society as well as your own personal life into some sort of, as you have said, hyper-reality. And it's going to collapse eventually. It's like a bubble. It's, it's, it's the, not to sound like that, but the end is nigh. You know, if you go into hyper reality is going to catch up to hyper reality eventually. Hyper reality is a tool that based on the technological prowess that we now possess can be used for the good of humanity to can enrich our lives. But if you mistake the map for the terrain, you're going to put yourself in a lot of trouble. And we're going to put ourselves as a society in a lot of trouble. And it's a digital map, not just That's right. a map anymore that, you know, like, like you would say in the, the, the 1600s, 1700s, when, when guys were, you know, just trying to sail the coastlines and, and sketch it out. And it, you know, it wasn't quite the no. reality, you know. No, this Not sure where that harbor was or that inlet or those rocks were. But when we're talking about a digital map that always changes. That's right. Based upon somebody else's goals and so forth. So when you're out of that, we're almost in an impossible situation where we're going to have to say, stop, stop. We just want to know what's true and what's real. That's right. Getting back to truth, getting back to reality uh, and understand. I think it begins. I think that's first of all, it's very important. It's crucial. But second of all, I think it begins with the recognition that there is a there is hyper reality and there is reality and they're not the same thing mm. there's not a perfect one-to-one -one correspondence mm -hmm. between them and one of those is much more manipulable in unrealistic ways mm. than the other and one of those can be manipulated by things like if you talk about a digital map we can think of photoshop and changing the color of the pixels right or we could think about it as changing what the words mean that describe the thing actual reality isn't quite so forgiving 
and that's why we can't mistake them. So if you, you, it begins by realizing that real life happens when you step out of that digital. Use the digital, have fun with the digital, enrich your life with the digital, but real life happens when you step out of that. Your relationships that you have in person mm. are deeper, they're more meaningful, they're more satisfying, there's greater degrees in, of connection than anything that you're going to do digitally. If you start to feel a little bit depressed, get out into reality rather than trying to satisfy, scratch that itch or feel better through hyper reality or through your connection to the internet. Social media is not gonna make you feel better. We have to start thinking that, that these tools like our cell phones and the computers and everything else that allow us and the internet that allow us access to this kind of third world, I don't mean third world, like third world country, I mean like mm. this third, third universe of you know, abstract ideas where we get to actually interface with them immediately, it's hyper real space, that that's a powerful and useful tool, but it's not, as we might say, the whole enchilada. We've got to get back down to reality. We've got to, where your life is going to be satisfying is coming out of that and getting back to the real. How do, how do people that are listening to this right now, how do they do that? What, what, what is some, some practical, just a couple of practical things that they could do from your perspective? And You know, I had this experience a long time ago, and it's, a, it's more of a realization than a practical step. I mean, I could say, oh, well, limit your time on your apps and all this kind of self-help nonsense. Mm -hmm. but a long time ago, I was playing a video game that has its own world. It's one of these massive online, it was World of Warcraft, if anybody wants to know. I was playing it, and I was 25 or 6 years old, and I realized I'm putting a lot of effort into making my little avatar here, my hyper-real character that was a woman, by the way, named Algebra, of course, yeah. because the math, right? And so I was making Algebra, this female magic user character that can throw fireballs, super great, right? I'm maxing out the level, getting the cool gear and all that stuff. I was putting a ton of time and effort in it. I thought, you know, I'm making myself awesome by proxy. Mm -hmm. This thought just entered my head when I was playing one day. And 40 minutes later, because I had that realization, I was like, no, this isn't, I could be making myself. I could be using this time, even though it's slower and it's harder, I could be making myself better mm -hmm. for real. And it actually is something that even though my meaning might be local to myself, maybe it's bigger than that, it means something more. Mm. It's worth more. It enriches me. It makes my body healthier. It makes my mind healthier. It makes my life healthier. So it's actually a more of a realization here that you can use the hyper-real, but if you, if, you, if you think that that's where satisfaction lives, it's not there. Right. It can enhance, but it isn't the whole thing. Mm -hmm. It's like if you're taking vitamins but never eating food. Right. Right. It can enhance, but it's not the whole thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, limit screen time isn't quite right. It starts to pay attention to what is real, what brings meaning, what adds depth, what is, you know, truly meaningful and valuable in life. And how do I get more of that? And what can I, you know, make sure I step back from and don't confuse, you know, your dating app is not the best way to meet people. Right. Right. You're meeting, you ever notice that people's profile pictures always look better than them? <laughs> you ever notice that? Because their profile picture is hyper real. Right. It's not satisfying. Right. You got to step back and you're not meeting their personality. You're meeting some online text thing. Same thing. You know, right. people, it's like, start thinking about what you really want out of life and the best ways to get it. And it's going to be to interact with the real virtually every time. I might also recommend that people take some time and get out into interacting with reality. Right. That's a practical step. Even if it's all it is, is just to pick up a basketball and throw it at a hoop and miss 300 times till you finally can get it to go in the hole. Right. Interact with reality. Reality is not very forgiving and it's good to remember that. 
And we just went through a year where everybody was asked to live in a hyper-real uh, world. No kidding. Where, and then as well, in, in terms of personal re, uh, interaction, that you couldn't even actually Everything have a face-to-face -face interaction. Was all through Zoom. Correct. Exhausting so Zoom. So it's like, no, we're going to tell you, you all must live Get together with people. In the hyper-reality. Exactly. We had that conversation when we had a conference in Tampa. Mm -hmm. And I said, it's so much different to interact with people in yes. real life than over Zoom. Even conflicts, even disagreements. If they're better. Right. It's and so all we, better. We see all this synthetic happening. You've seen it in math, which was your primary field of study when you were in, in the university, you know, where two plus two is equal five, equaling five. <laughs> We're seeing it happen within geopolitics and whatever it is that, that actually is moving things. We're told to do things because of something that maybe is not a reality in, in total, you know, within the Christian faith, I'm seeing it where our Christian faith is being transitioned into something which is not a reality. And in many ways, we're all having our interactions all online and our disagreements there as opposed to face to face. Yeah. So this is happening and with families and with families. I was talking to somebody the other day as we were coming out of a place that we were both speaking at. And this person was telling me, well, the state has come and told me that because we are misgendering our 15 year old at home, because they have now decided to transition, not yet, you know, physically and, you know, operationally, but because we're misgendering our, our son, that they're saying that they're going to remove our son from our home. Yeah, that's a disaster. So this is actually happening. This is, yeah, it is. It's actually happening. Um, that practical advice then extends. You've got, like we, you said, we just had over a year where we were separated from reality, social reality, and having to do it through digital means and text messages and you know Zoom calls at the best and all of this. And really, you've got to step back from that. Like, make excuses to get together with people, to do things again. Stop believing everything you see on fake news. You know, we said, you know, you're talking about the mountains, we're surrounded by mountains, talking about the Iron Law woke projection. One of the biggest things that got me is when I realized, you know, John Stewart on The Daily Show used to call Fox News Bullshit Mountain. That was his name for it, right? And then I realized, like, all the stuff he was defending is actually Bullshit Mountain. And I was like, oh, my God, Iron Law of Woke Projection again, mm. everywhere. Like, Trump was right, fake news. Um, <laughs> the Iron Law of Woke Projection strikes again. It's a, absolutely Iron Law. But, no, truthfully, people need to start spending time in person. They need to start getting together across similarities, like friendships. They need to start getting together across differences, having dialogues and debates. We need to get people in the same room and start to see that they have commonalities that they've forgotten about because they're too busy being mad that somebody's wrong online. Like I was speaking with you earlier, and I said I got to this point with Twitter where I'd get in a discussion with somebody in real life, and they say something I don't like, and I was like, in my head, like, block. Like the yeah. automatic reaction was, how do I block this or mute? This? Where's my mute button to shut that person up? It's like, mm -hmm. that's hyper reality. And it's projecting into my interactions with actual reality. Like I actually want to block my friends. And we see that where people are throwing away relationships over political differences and arguments. And instead of figuring out how to make it work, right. get to know each other and remember their common humanity. So that's got to start happening again. And even having disagreements. Sure. But yet still continuing down life together. That's right, right. exactly.